I guess that really where I want to start is, is that we're two days away from this September 22nd date, right? Two days away, and um, I am definitely, like, wildly pumped for it. I think more so, I think that this year, and maybe I've said this before, but I'm going to reiterate it. I think this year I have been more excited than I ever have before about the prophecies that God has released. Okay. Now, I don't know if it's just me or if it's just that like, you know, oh, we're actually getting this and we're really going to see this thing happen. But I am stirred and charged beyond really, I mean, I haven't been alive that long. I'm 32, but really anything, you know, I've never experienced this before. And I really believe that God is setting us up to do something phenomenal. Okay? Can I, I, I want to say that again. Because I, I need you to grab this. Because I, I just don't think you're feeling it like I'm feeling it. Right? God, his really, like, I mean really, really. Like, not just kind of really or maybe really. I mean really, really. He's really, really setting us up to do supernatural things in our life. Why? Because... Listen, because what God has prophesied over this house, that we would establish a region of righteousness in Southern Ontario and rest, God has a job for us to do. And because he has a job for us to do, that looks like us stepping into and living in the abundant life. Because let me tell you something. I, I kind of said this last night. I taught Connect last night. Woo to Connect. You've done Connect. You need to do Connect because it's awesome. Um, but I was talking about this, you know, a little bit last night that, you know, that... Be a, if you're a homeless person, and no offense to homeless people because God bless them and he loves them, but if you're a homeless person, nobody's going to look to you for the keys to success. Like, can I just be frank? Yeah. Like if you're sicker than a dog, nobody is going to be like, oh, friend, please teach me how to live in divine healing, right? And I think that sometimes we fooled ourselves where we've thought that just because like we sing good songs, that that would mean that the world should, you know, I just don't understand why the world doesn't want to be a part of this, Okay. I'll tell you, a lot of the reason why the world doesn't want to be a part of this is because we look worse than they look. Can I get an amen? Oh, let me say it like this for all you faith people. We look, duh, in the past, like way, way, way in the past, right? We look, duh, worse than they look. But I tell you something that I believe that what God is doing in this season and why he's stirring our hearts so intensely is because he's getting ready for us. Like there's this scripture, and I love it, and I, I, I prophesy over my life every day and over this house, that there, the scripture talks about that there's a city on a hill, right? And like when the storm is raging and things aren't going so good and you don't know where to go, there's a city on a hill, and the scripture says that when people see the city on a hill, what? That people will run to it, okay? I believe that that's what God is doing. He's establishing in us this heart so that when the world, as dark as it is right now, that there's a shining light, a beacon of hope that's called the church, right? That's called, can I be so bold as to say, that's called Victory Church, right? That when this region is looking and they're complaining about the education system and the hospital system and all the different things, that way over here in Fort Erie, there's a shining beacon that people would say, I don't know what's going on over there, but I just need to be a part of it because the people there just look different than what I'm used to. You see, that's why, you know, and yes, we talk about prosperity and finances and we talk about all those things, but I tell you something, not prosperity for prosperity's sake, prosperity so that we can establish and become something that people would actually want to be. 
You ever notice that? Like, I do that all the time, okay? If I see somebody driving a nice car, like I can remember, I saw this guy driving a red Ferrari, okay? And I'm sure that most guys do this. My very first question, really the only thing I care about, I don't want to know your name. I don't really care, like, where are you from? No, 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 I don't care about that. You could be Bob Smith for all I care about. I got one question for you, and that one question is, hey, man, what do you do? Right? Because I want to do what you do if what you do got you that car, right? I think that that's the way that the church is supposed to look. That our life is supposed to look so attractive that people would come to us and they would ask us, hey man, how does your life look so good? I mean, isn't that the example that we see in, in the New Testament with Jesus when the rich young ruler came to him? Right? I mean, this was a guy who had it all. I mean, to be labeled the rich young ruler, I mean, that's a pretty good title. Right? I would like that to be on my tombstone, right? This is Alex, the rich young ruler, right? I mean, that's a pretty good title, right? But even still in that position, he saw in Jesus something that he knew that he needed. You see, I'm telling you, when we talk about this, our year of great harvest, yes, harvest, and yes, God wants you blessed, and yes, he wants your body to be healthy, and yes, he wants you to have good relationships, but I tell you something, can we dream a little bit beyond that? Can we allow our hope and our expectation to go a little bit beyond that and understand that what we're doing, that what we're pressing towards is so much beyond what, you know, the little that we need God to do in our life. That he's looking at us and giving us this opportunity to really be those people who are, you know, remembered. Can I say it like that? That maybe when they look back at the Niagara region and it's flourishing and it's beautiful and, you know, it's got the most prized real estate in the whole world. And they say, hmm, when did it go from Fort Dreary to you know, Fort Golden City, right? And they look back and they'd be like, oh yeah, it was those people back there, those victory people. Yeah, they, they changed that. They changed the atmosphere. They changed things in this. I believe that's what it's supposed to be like, that we're not destined to just come here, live, breathe a couple breaths, do some fun stuff and die, okay? We're here for a very specific purpose and that is to change culture. And that's what's happening right now. I mean, you're watching it with documentaries and movies that are happening that are very Christian-oriented, that God is positioning the church to begin to influence culture, okay? So I said all that to say, I'm excited about what God is doing on September 22nd because I want this to experience the supernatural acceleration of God in my life. And if God is calling this harvest great, okay, I would even take like an average harvest from God, Right? <laughs> Because, I mean, God's average is probably spectacular. But for God to call this the great harvest, how many of you can see from that that, wait a minute, this is probably pretty darn good, okay? And I'm looking to experience that in my life because I believe that Christianity can change the world, okay? Can I say that again? I, I really believe that. I believe that the message of Jesus Christ, I mean, it's done it in the past, and I believe that it can do it again. Okay, maybe it's a, we got to do it a new way and maybe we got to say it a little bit differently and we got to put lights on and we got to do all those things. But I still believe that the message of Jesus Christ can transform the world. And that's why we as believers need to be in these high positions so that somebody can fund the gospel. I, I mean, that's the truth, right? You know, it costs millions and millions. I think that I read Frozen I've read the statistic. I think Frozen cost something like $275 million to make. Okay, you say, wow. But can I tell you something? Somebody paid for that. And you know what happened? Because Walt Disney or Pixar, whoever, I think it was Disney, 
You know what happens because they paid for it? They got to choose what the message was, what the songs were, what the characters looked like, what they did. I tell you something, I mean, what is it? I think it's from Aladdin, right? He who has the goals makes the rules, right? And that's where God has destined us to be, is that we have to understand that prosperity and these things come so that we can be the ones who make the rules. That the light can begin to infiltrate the darkness because it's just, you know, oh, you need $275 million? Uh, yeah, like, yeah, we could give you like half of our offering, right? Whoa. I mean, let me say that again, okay? Like, yeah, we'll give you half of the offering. You know, oh, well, we could take up the Wednesday night offering, you know, and if we could give you a little bit, that should equal about 275 million. Okay? Let me tell you something, though, is that, you know, it sounds funny because it's like, yeah, yeah, 270, that's so much. I'll tell you something. Did you know? I don't know how I'm doing this right now. Let me tell you something. Did you know, let me tell you this, that they, they've discovered that if Bill Gates was walking down the street and he saw a $100 bill that was sitting on the ground, it wouldn't even be worth his time to bend over and pick it up. Take, hey, let's take a second with that. That if he's walking down the street and there's a $100 bill, I, I would rejoice. I would, this is the day that the Lord has made, right? <laughs> Okay? Like, this is it. You better believe I'm texting everybody, telling them my testimony, and this is happening. Danielle, baby, we're going on a good date this weekend. Right? Okay? But I tell you something, for Bill Gates, it's not even worth his time. I'm pretty sure Bill Gates makes something like $1,000 a second. Like, let's say law there. And why? Because we're, we're selfish and because we're, no, we're none of those things. But because the gospel needs people to back it. I, I need to be in this place. I need to force myself to believe, to do whatever is necessary to believe because the gospel needs people like this. The gospel needs people who will stand behind it and say, hey, you need $10 million? Perfect. I'm going to put some people together. Because, I mean, unless we could do that, it's like, yay, like, we could sing, we could shout, we could dance. But, you know, Bill Gates tweets something, and the whole world changes. If I tweet something, literally my thumbs just get sore. <laughs> Nothing happens. Why? Because he's got something better to say than me? No. I mean, in some areas he does. I'm sure he's a wonderful man. He's doing a lot of great things in the world. But the reason people listen to him is because of his stature here on the earth. It's time for the Christians, for the church, to be those people. Amen? And so I need you to understand that because I need you to see that, that as we talk about these things and as we rejoice about all these things that are happening and what God is doing and we talk about these prophetic words and we do all that, the reason why we're doing that is I want our hearts to be stirred together. Okay? I don't want to just me and a couple other people experience it. But my desire would be that each and every one of us would be able to step through this doorway into our eternal life, okay? And so I need you to grab a hold of that. And so um, really what I wanted to talk about today is, uh, and, and I believe that it's very strategic from the Lord, um, 
for where we are right now. I'm pretty sure that I'm preaching the last message in this Jewish calendar year, okay? Yes, I know. Thank you. It was, it was great. It's a great honor for me to be here to <laughs> close out the year with you. I'm like uh, Dick Van Dyke, right? Okay. <laughs> it's New Year's Rockin' Eve, baby, right? Okay. Anyway, sorry. I'm digressing. Okay. And so, uh, so you know, really what I want to talk about is, is this experience that I used to have in my life all the time is that when I was believing God for things in my life and, you know, I would get a prophetic word or God would say something to me or things would start to happen in my life or, you know, all of a sudden I would get this like deep revelation in my life and, you know, I'm like going after it. It's like, this is it. I'm believing and this is happening right now. There's this thing that would always happen to me in my life and it's that I would start to just get real testy. You know, testy, you know what that means? Like, I get real edgy, you know? Like, it was real easy for me. Like, I had a short fuse, I guess I could say that. And it would bother me, and it would seem like things, like the, the hordes of hell were sent against me to try to get me angry at different things. And it bothered me so much, but I never really connected the dots in it. Um, but it was literally like clockwork. It was like, as soon as, you know, I'm stepping into this place where I'm believing and, you know, I want to do something or my family's believing something, literally every single time it was like, you know, an attack of the enemy was sent to us and it was like everybody was just fighting all of a sudden. And this was happening, thank God this was years ago, we've definitely wised up since then, Uh, but this would happen all the time and it started to bother me and then one day I went to the Lord and I'm just talking to him about it because I want to know, like, God, what's going on and why is this happening? And he took me to Galatians 5, 6. And Galatians 5, 6 says this. For if we are in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Okay, so that means if we're in Christ, the outside, this is a natural thing, it doesn't mean anything, right? Like he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Like there's no separation. We're all the same. But he says, he goes on to say this, but only, this is what matters. Only faith activi- activated and expressed and working through love. Okay, so in that moment, as I read the scripture, I saw my answer, and my answer was that the enemy was trying to steal my breakthrough, not by necessarily coming and putting negative thoughts in my head about my increase. He wasn't necessarily coming and trying to steal the word, like Mark 4 says. He wasn't necessarily trying and coming to discourage me, using my past and all my past failures. He wasn't trying to do those things, but what he was doing was he was trying to get me to walk out of love. And as I read the scripture in Galatians 5, 6, I realized why. That faith is activated, it's powered by love. That, in fact, you know, it's like I have this analogy. It would be like if I was holding a remote in my hand, or like my cell phone. Let's use this as an example. And faith powered by love looks like iPhone powered by battery. See that? Faith powered by, activated by love is like iPhone activated, powered by battery. That I could have a perfectly functioning iPhone. You ever have this before? Emma's notorious for this, that her phone, there she is right there. Everybody, Emma. Woo! Yeah. Okay. Emma needs a revelation that iPhone is powered by battery. Okay. Because on most days, by like 9.45 in the morning, her phone is dead, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure like the extra battery pack that she has is also dead. 
she needs a revelation of iPhone powered by battery, okay? But it's a perfect example in the sense that her iPhone is perfect, right? I mean, all the circuitry's there, all the wires are there, all the connectors are there, but unless the phone has the battery, it's basically a brick. It's nothing. And sometimes what we have to understand is that our faith can sometimes be a lot like that. That we have faith, I mean, 1 Corinthians says it like this, that, you know, if I speak in the tongues of angels and, and I have faith enough to move a mountain, but I don't have love, yeah. the message translation says it, ooh, it jabs you. It says, I'm a useless nobody. Okay, I'm, it says uh, I'm a useless nobody. And I think that sometimes what the enemy tries to do in these situations is that, yes, like, I love the message of faith, and I believe in it. Like, I apologize that I preach it all the time, okay? But I'm so in love with the message of faith because I really see how it can change our lives. But unless it's also coupled with an understanding of how to walk in the love of God, 1 Corinthians tells us that it's literally useless, that I have this perfectly functioning phone, but I never charge the battery, and so I could never actually use the phone. That I've spent all this time and all this effort and all this energy building this perfect thing, and then I just simply don't put a battery in it. And sometimes this happens to us in our life is that we can sometimes, you know, it's like in the process of us developing our faith, you know, we can be rude to people. Like, we're studying our Bible, you know? We're like, yes, Father, I love you. And your word is so good. And I'm just, I'm drinking of your word, Father. And somebody comes into your room and you're like, get out! <laughs> right? Doesn't happen sometimes. It happens to me, right? Where I'll be reading... And I'm like, yes, Jesus, I love your presence, Father. Oh, your goodness, God. And like Danielle walks in the room and I'm like, seriously? Like you interrupted my flow, girl, right? And I think that sometimes what can happen to us, sometimes what can happen to us is that we have to remember that yes, 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 don't get me wrong. Yes, we live by faith. Yes, we do the things, we meditate, we make confessions, we study the word, we do all those things, but never at the expense of walking in love. Because I can have a perfectly functioning phone, but without battery, it's useless. It's like a paperweight. And sometimes in our life, we look at that and we look at why aren't things happening in my life? We look at our faith and we're doing our confessions and we're doing it and sometimes we can get so discouraged. But I believe that what the Lord is saying is that as we close out this year, let us, let's remember, let's come back to this place that says what first and foremost, what we are, we're designed to love. Like we are love creations. Like the Bible says that God is love and I was made in the image and the likeness of God. That means that my very, the deepest part of my nature is to be a loving person. And the, the, the reality that we must, as believers, step into is to understand that if we want things to happen in our life, that it must, or, or I'll say like this, we must actively choose to live, life, to live a life of love. I have this written down as well, that 
You know, sometimes I think what we want to do is we like to try to power our faith by other things. It'd be like if me, if I was to like get a gas can, which I also was going to do. Emma, you don't need to go get a gas can because it's probably going to be full. But if I was to get a gas can and I was to like put my iPhone on the ground and I poured gasoline all over my phone and then I pick it up and I'm like, oh, it should work now, right? No. But I think that sometimes we could do that. We could think that our faith can be powered by our need, right? Like I, I need this. And obviously God sees that I need it. And so of course he's going to do it. Sometimes it can be powered by our ambition, right? That we, we want it. We want the, the high esteem places. And sometimes it can be powered maybe by our want. But I believe that what the Lord is saying to us is that none of those things move the hand of the Lord. What activates my faith is one thing, and that's love. And so what I want to do is, is I want to take a second and go through 1 Corinthians 13, because 1 Corinthians 13 is a very common scripture, and we've all read it. It's the love chapter. But I want to read it from the sense so that we can, as we really start this year, I believe that what the Lord wants to do is he wants to give us a very solid foundation on what is love. You know, like, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. No, no, Night at the Roxbury people, nothing. It's all the older crowd. They're like, Night at the where? Night at the Roxbury. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Love it, man. But I believe that God wants to define it for us so that as we walk forward, as we, as we step into this new year, we have a very solid understanding of what does it look like to be loving? Like, let's bring it, let's pretend we're in Antioch, right? Like, what does it mean to be loving? And what does it mean to be unloving? Because when I comply with this list of love, my faith is activated, right? Faith worketh is powered by love. So when my, lo- my life looks like this list, that means that my faith is now being powered. If there's areas of my life, contrarily, if there's areas of my life that look opposite of this list, I am depowering, if I could say it like that, like powering down my faith. And as believers, with how we, be- we began this message and the understanding of how uh, intentional we need to be with our faith because of all the things that God wants to do in our city and in our region, and how we are the ones who are the carriers of the gospel, we must be very intentional with the way that we conduct our lives to ensure that our faith is being powered by or activated by our love. Can I get an amen? Okay. So this is what it says. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful. It's not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and it's not proud or arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not provoked, nor is it overly sensitive or easily angered. That's good. That like, that hits me good. It doesn't take into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but it rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. It bears all things regardless of what comes. 
It believes all things, looking for the best in each one. It hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times. It endures all things without weakening. Love never fails, it never fades, and it never ends. And so if you're like me, as I read through this list, hoping that it wouldn't be quite so challenging, I basically felt like if I'm going to accomplish this list, I'm basically going to have to go and live under a rock, right? I mean, there's some of those things on that list that to this day, I feel like, Lord Jesus, you know, send heaven down. Because aside from heaven itself, I don't know that I could change this thing in my heart. But I tell you something, is that we have been given the scripture uh, um, in, where is it? There's a scripture in the Bible somewhere that you're going to go find that says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Okay? You see, we don't have to try to get love in us. Love has already been placed in us. And so all we have to do is allow the love out of us. I mean, we got to simplify this because if I'm a love creation and love is my nature and also the Holy Spirit has come and he's shed the love of God abroad in my heart, it sounds like it should be pretty easy for me to be able to walk in love all the time. The only reason I believe that most of us are challenged to walk in love is honestly, we're just kind of out of practice. You know, it's like me when I drive. I'm really out of practice in being patient, you know? And, and I believe that the best place to drive is like six inches behind the person in front of me's bumper because I don't know why, but it just makes me feel like I'm going faster. Okay, and, but I tell you something, if I was to practice it, like, you know, this is my monthly challenge from Danielle because I get those monthly challenges. My monthly challenge from her is, is that, you know, just try to drive like, you know the law, how it says like a car length at least? Let's just practice that. And I tell you something, there's no demonic spirit in me. I don't have like the demon of tailgating, okay? I'm just out of practice with being patient. I'm used to road rage and I have to relearn what it feels like to be a calm and relaxed driver. Okay? But I tell you, in every area of our life, this is the truth. It's actually not hard to be loving. At first, it takes a little bit of intentionality, just like when I stop tailgating, I have to really focus on it. Because my natural instinct, and without even knowing it, I'm six inches away. But then when I get six inches away, I hear Danielle's voice in my head, and I slow back a little. Not too far, because I don't want to not put pressure on them so they think they can slow down. But far enough back that I'm not going to collide with them if they tap their brakes. Okay? But, and honestly, it's making a difference in my life. Because I'm practicing what it looks like to be loving. And I think that for most people, our culture is so fast-paced that we've just become unloving people. Not because we actually want to be unloving, we become unloving because it's kind of the societal norm. You know, when I walk past somebody, I don't say hi, but nobody says hi, and so I guess it's kind of normal. But I challenge you. What does it look like to intentionally be loving? 
You know, I like to practice that sometimes, and I do it through the form of texting. Not texting while I'm driving, because actually I just heard that the fine went up. This is like a sidebar public service announcement. <laughs> the, the fine for texting and driving literally just went up. I'm pretty sure it's $2,000 now, between two dollars and $5,000. So if you were a texter and driver, give the $2,000 to the church. It will be better for you. Okay? Anyways, so let's get back to what I was saying, is, is that I believe that. I believe that if we can just uh, practice a little, that it will be surprising to us how easily it will be. And so, oh, Romans 5.5 5 says, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. So I want to talk three points really quick. Really, really quick. Three points of what I feel like the Lord spoke to me about of how to practice love. Okay? Number one, you can write this down. We have to think loving thoughts. Okay? Think loving thoughts. Everything in your life, whether you know it or not, starts with a thought. Maybe it's no longer conscious, like my tailgating, but everything in my life that I do is, is the action is formed by a thought. And so what we have to learn to do is we have to learn to intentionally use our thought life to make us loving people. Because if I can, because if I can stop the thoughts, I can change my behavior. Okay, my Aunt Jenny is famous for this. And this, th this whole idea is like radically transformed my life. And I've seen so much growth in my life simply by changing the way that I think. Okay, that if we can think, start thinking intentionally, like set a timer, you know, and every 15 minutes it beeps. And when it beeps, you think a loving thought about something. Whatever you're doing, think a loving thought about it. At first, it's going to be frustrating. But after a while, just like my tailgating, it becomes a habit. And then it's amazing that my life now looks like I think about loving things all day long. But if we don't intentionally start doing it, if I don't practice and start to practice thinking thoughts that are loving rather than thinking things that are unloving, I won't change anything. Philippians 4 says it like this. It tells us exactly what are the thoughts that we should think. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. Okay? If we're going to succeed at walking in love, you need to succeed in walking in love because you need your faith to be able to be powered so that you can live in the year of your great harvest. So we have to practice these things, intentionally practice. We have to become masters of controlling the things that are going on inside of our head. If I can't control my thoughts, I cannot change my behavior. And that very statement is a lie because you can control your thoughts. Maybe it's gonna be hard at first. Chances are it will be. But I promise you, 
If you will actively change what you think, it will become easy. Number two, we have to practice being loving. Okay? Write that down. Practice being loving. It's almost impossible to love, to start to try to love in the midst of a difficult situation. When I am in a rush and I'm late and I need to get somewhere, it's almost physically impossible for me not to tailgate. This is the truth. Like, at this point when I'm in a rush, the six-inch grace zone that they had has now turned into a two-inch grace zone. And chances are, even if it's a double yellow, you're going to get past. Okay? Because it's difficult to try to change in the midst of pressure. If you are easily angered or you are rude, don't go to a restaurant where you know they always get your order wrong thinking that this time you're going to be nice. I tell you, you probably aren't because in the midst of pressure, it's very, very challenging to change our behavior. So what do we have to do? We have to practice being loving when it's easy. Say amen. amen. Practice loving in situations where there's really no pressure to pull you in the direction of being unloving. What does this look like? Thank you, Liz. What does this look like? It looks like when you think the loving thought from point number one, when I think the loving thought, and let's say the loving thought is about Caitlin, what I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna practice love. And I think the thought, wow, Caitlin's so wonderful, and I loved her green sweatshirt that she was wearing last night. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna text Caitlin and I'm gonna tell her, hey Caitlin, you're so wonderful and I loved your green sweatshirt, period, red emoji heart. <laughs> now if you're a guy, a single guy and a single girl, you probably shouldn't send red emoji heart, maybe choose blue emoji heart. Okay? But let me tell you something, that's what it looks like to practice being loving. When I'm not late and I'm just casually driving down the road, that's when I practice not tailgating. But unless we practice loving, we're gonna get into our difficult situations and we're just gonna continue to repeat our unloving behavior all the time. Now, sidebar. Imagine what life would look like if every single one of us all day long were texting each other loving things all the time. Like at any given time, every single day, you could almost guarantee that you're going to get between 10 and 15 really nice texts. Imagine what that would feel. Imagine how crazy it would be for a new person when they came to our church. That, okay. Maybe not so new that it freaks them out, and especially don't use red emoji hearts with those people. But imagine what it would feel like when we create a culture that's so wildly loving. I tell you, that's attractive. Like, have you ever gone to other countries of the world and you see how loving they are? I mean, when I went to Africa, 
it was almost all that I could talk about for, I can't even tell you how long, was how loving the people were. Love, the Bible says it like this, it's the goodness of God that leads men's hearts to repentance. Our love has power. And number three, we must learn to love ourselves. Say that, I love myself. Say it again, I love myself. Mark 12, verse 30 says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with, and with all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love your neighbor if you do not first love yourself. Just like the scripture that says that, how can we say that we love God if we don't love the people that are around us? It's the same relationship. If we don't first love ourselves, it's difficult for us to give love if we don't understand what it feels like to receive love. The Bible says it in 1 John that we're able to love when, because we first have experienced the love of God in our hearts. And so we have to learn how to love ourselves, not in like narcissism, okay? Well, you just like, you, you walk around with a mirror all the time and you just say like, check me out, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about understanding that you're fearfully and wonderfully made and that God loves you deeply and dearly. And when I'm able to receive the love of God, now I'm able to give love to people, amen? Put your hand on your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I choose to be a loving person. Say, Holy Spirit, show me what it looks like for me to be loving. Now he's gonna show you a picture. Father, I choose as an act of my will to bind to myself the love of God. Say, I am loving. Say, it's easy for me to love. Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name.